Hello, I'm Angela, and you are listening to The Farmer. This is episode number six, Raising Rabbits for Meat, part three. start with some farm updates. Um, so we had a significant snowfall. I think we ended up with about 14 inches. Um, that was this past Monday. It's mid-February right now um, and we finally have snow cover on the ground. Um, it was followed by a warm day where some of it melted but not a significant amount and now I, I think we've got bunch of 20 degree days in the forecast we had a lot of wind and a lot of drifting um, after this storm so that's there's still a lot of drifting um, that's um, kind of a pain have to clear everything again um, but other than that nothing too exciting going on with the weather um, one of the goats I came out this morning and she decided she was gonna try and um, hang herself with her her jacket so um, I took that off I have been contemplating taking it off of her anyway it was getting pretty tight um, she's five weeks out from kidding now and um, the the um, band that goes underneath is velcro and it I was on just the very last little bit of velcro and it was kind of getting tight on her anyway so um, she definitely always has, like, the biggest belly. Like, hers hangs really low. Um, so I knew it wasn't going to be long, so we took that off of her. The other girls still have theirs on, um, and they're doing fine. I had a litter of kits this week. Um, she had, it's a first-time mom. She had nine, so she's got eight, eight nipples, so for sure I knew we'd lose one so one did die it looks like uh, she's got another runty one so I think well I think we'll lose another one probably before tomorrow morning even so they must be about five days old now I think so um so I mean if she ends up with a litter of seven that's good I always like to see six or more weaned um but five to seven is is fine but you know when they have more than eight almost never do they all live so um but yeah doing doing really well for a first time mom she covered them up good she made a really nice nest she pulled out lots of hair um it looks like she's feeding them she's not eating as much as i'd like her to which actually um is a problem that her mother has now um, in her earlier litters she seemed to be fine and these last two or three um, she doesn't seem to be feeding that or eating quite as much which I mean the less she eats the less milk she's gonna produce so um, this one was from her that the mom's first that dam's first litter and so now she's a year old and she's having her first litter here um 
but I wouldn't have saved her back if I thought that her dam had a problem with that. So we'll see how that pans out. It's kind of early to tell, but at the same time, you know, when you've got nine kits, that's a long way to spread that milk across. And maybe, maybe they'll plump up soon, you know, quicker um, here in a little bit, but keep an eye on it. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully it's not an issue. I do think I'm going to call her uh, the dam of this new mother though, because she, these last two or three litters just haven't had great gains. And, you know, she's got a lot of litters left in her. Um, and I think I'm going to, I've got a couple people interested. I'm think I'm going to try to sell her, um, bread. Um, and get rid of her just to somebody starting out. I mean, she still has really nice looking rabbits. She's a good mom. Um, it's just that for as many as I have, I only want to save the cream of the crop. She's, you know, not necessarily worth the cage space to me. Um, if she's only weaning five or six with not the best, uh, weights on them. So, um, see see if I can get a little something for her if she can go to a new home I'd like to especially send her to somebody who's new to it especially if they're looking for show rabbits I mean she's a really nice looking rabbit so I'm sure they could could get some nice offspring for from her for showing so we'll see what I can do there last time we left off um talking about rabbits right after kindling and checking on the kits. Um, and right after that, there's not much you have to do. Um, just besides keeping an eye on them and removing any from the nest box that, uh, that die, um, the does do all the work for you. Um, they are pretty good at, most of them are pretty good at keeping them covered up, keeping them warm. Um, if it's summer, they may not cover them up as well, um, but they they do a pretty good job of, you know, taking care of those kits, and you don't really have to do much. So, um, other than, you know, keeping an eye on them, they'll start to emerge from the nest box around three weeks old. Um, you got to be a little bit careful. Um, sometimes they like to do... If they actually jump out of the nest box, most of the time they can get back in. But if they, they kind of do what we call like popcorning and they'll sometimes do this little flailing thing and they aren't actually jumping out. They just, if they get in the front of the nest box and they kind of like jump around and they'll fall out of the box, um... That's when it's a big problem because then they can't get back in in any amount of time um, out of the nest box. They'll usually get too cold. No, summer, it's not that much of an issue, but it really doesn't even have to be that cold when they're fairly young um, for them to just not be able to withstand that and they'll die. Um, sometimes you'll come in and see the doe like kind of huddled over it, but I would say as a general rule, most does don't really do anything. I mean, they're not cats. They can't carry them around and, you know, drop them back in the nest box. And most of them don't, 
don't make an attempt to keep them warm. It's just, you know, it's just not something they do. So occasionally they'll kind of, they'll get out, they won't be able to get back in and they'll get too cold. Obviously if that happens in winter, you don't have much time, 20 minutes sometimes, depends on how much hair they have too. Um, but anything under three weeks, you really want to make sure they they stay in that box. Um, so I, I try not to keep the very front of my nest boxes really full of like straw and shavings. Um, I try to keep that down a little bit lower so that it's not as easy for them to fall out. Um, if the dough moves stuff around that a lot of the stuff is in the front of the box, sometimes I'll remove some of that uh, just so the kits can't fall out. Um, so when they start to emerge around three weeks, they'll start nibbling on the hay and the pellets and start drinking from the water. You don't, have, you don't have to train them to do anything. They find that water and they know just what to do. Um, it really doesn't take them long to figure it out at all. Um, but once they start emerging, you're definitely going to see pretty quickly that you need to increase that feed because all of a sudden you'll come in one morning and everything you're giving that dough will be gone. And once the kits start eating, they really, really eat quite a bit. So your feed, their, your pellet consumption in a pen will probably go like, let's say you're giving the dough um like four little scoops a day you could easily go up to like 10 11 12 scoops depending on how many kits she has within a matter of days you know three four five days every day you'll have to start increasing it so um they they catch on pretty darn quick um if you're going to feed them greens, start right away when they start emerging from the nest box. Throw a little bit in there. Um, if that's how they always eat, they won't have any stomach problems. So they'll just take a few nibbles here and there. And as they get better at eating and not just drinking milk, um, their body will kind of naturally get used to that. Um, what I would not recommend is you know, once they're older, you know, wait till they're five, six weeks old and then throw these huge handfuls in, then they're going to get diarrhea and things are not going to go well um, just because they're not used to um, digesting all of that. So no matter when you do it, increase it slowly. But if you have greens available right when they start emerging from the nest box, um, I, I go ahead and throw them in right away. Just whatever I would feed the dough, the kids will start nibbling off of it and then you can increase that over time so that they all get a little more. I typically take their nest box away um, sometime between three and five weeks. So if it's summer and they're jumping out and they're out more than they're in, um, I take it away right away because chances are by then they're the straw and stuff is getting pretty gross inside of it, especially in summer, because if you don't get that out right away, um, you know, there's flies and you can get maggots and stuff. So in summer, you definitely want to remove it as soon as you can, as soon as those kits are like out all the time and it's not too cold for them. Um, if it's really cold out, I have left them in long enough or as long as five weeks, but then you typically need to like take, take all the nesting material out of it and replace that. 
um, just so it's nice and clean. But as soon as they start like pooping in it all the time, you might as well just take it out because it they're just gonna keep using it as a litter box. Um, like I said, I I if it's below zero or you know really cold out, I I do replenish that for them um and that usually only lasts a few days and then we're done because they just make such a mess of it and once they start they're not going to stop so um then I wean them around between six to eight weeks again in the summer I usually pull them out a lot quicker um and in winter I aim for seven weeks and sometimes it's eight it just kind of depends sometimes it's really just all about cage space and what I have and who's kindling and how I'm gonna divide them up so um but after six weeks they don't really need that dough I mean usually she's sick of them by then and sometimes I really just do let the dough tell me I mean sometimes you walk in there and they're like <laughs> they're hunched in the corner like trying to hide from them like stop nursing on me I'm so sick of you and some litters are just so obnoxious and do not leave that dough alone. I pull those kits out sooner because she she doesn't need that. So um, I, I pull them out. I kind of let the dough tell me when she's ready and the weather dictates a little bit. Um, and the... I, I do go ahead and breed that dough back um, usually right around between seven and eight weeks. So if I pull them out early, she gets a week or two off before I rebreed her. Um, but I don't let them sit too long because you don't want them letting you don't want to let them sit and get fat um, because the longer you wait between, the harder it is to breed them back. So it really is ideal to just you know breed them back right away for sure by eight weeks typically. You would breed them back um, just to prevent future problems getting them bred back. Um, so then the juniors are on their own. They do fine. Rabbits do not have weaning emotions like um, like when you wean goat kids or calves. It is a week or two at least, sometimes more, of bellering back and forth like your neighbors if you have any close enough they'll hate you because all they're gonna hear I lay in bed at night and think oh my gosh Christmas Chris is our neighbor I'm like he must hate us because all, all he hears is goat bellering he worked third shift for a while and I was so happy because it seems to be worse at night. Like they have nothing better to do than beller back and forth. But um, he doesn't anymore. And then I feel terrible every time we wean him because that's what he's got to listen to. Rabbits, they don't have none of that. You pull them out, it's like they were, they were never together. They don't care. At least I've never seen any evidence of longing, of that doe longing for her kids or the kid the kits, you know, wanting their mom back. They they really don't care. So um, somewhere around 10 weeks, you'll typically see some of those bucks starting to pick on the does. Um, so I keep the entire litter together. And then what happens is when I, you know, I walk in and I notice, you'll notice maybe some fur in the cage that's loose or maybe somebody will, you can maybe see they kind of got a chunk of fur missing or 
um, a lot of times they'll mount each other. So if I see one picking on them, chasing them around, I just pull it out, I sex it. If it's a buck, I put it in an upper cage. I have um, some very small cages up on top and those are just meant to be like temporary ca cages for those bucks the last like two or three weeks of their life. Um, I would never like use it as like a long-term arrangement for a full-size rabbit but these juniors they do fine. Um, they're probably like I uh, like 18 by 14 I think is is about the the measurements on those um, so not huge but plenty of room for a short period of time um, so I just have a lot of those little ones up on top and if I see a buck picking on them I pull them out you can leave all the does together I have the bucks don't bother them then that's fine um, leave them in there. I have had litters where I've never had to separate any of them and I have some that already by like eight or nine weeks like every buck is being obnoxious. The worst is when you have like a litter of eight and like seven of them are bucks because you run out of those little cages sooner but if you keep them together they beat the snot out of each other so you do the best you can and it is what it is and a lot of times I really just care about those does getting picked on because they just, those bucks can be relentless and nobody wants to deal with that. So um, typically mine are ready to butcher between 10 and 12 weeks. Um, in the summer, it's closer to that 10 or 11 weeks. In winter, they're usually ready by 12 weeks. I might let them go another week longer and some of it depends on the weather because I do it in my garage and if it's like 10 degrees it is not fun to butcher rabbits so because your fingers get really cold um so i i wait until i you know have a 20 degree day at least um and i do have a, a little bit of a heater for the garage but mm, i hate the stink of it so um yeah, anytime between there, they're usually ready. Um, so after 12 weeks, typically your your rate of gain goes down. So um, the rate at which uh, they convert that feed into, you know, poundage um, goes down. So you may want like so typically mine will dress out between three and a half and four pounds uh, around 11 or 12 weeks. Again, depending on in summer, they grow faster because they're not trying to maintain their body heat. Um, so it takes a little longer in winter. But, you know, let's say you want yours to dress out at five pounds. Well, that's fine. But your cost per pound is going to increase because... Um, Let's say it cost you um, $10, well, let's not say, let's say it cost you $5 to put on a pound of weight on these rabbits, like $5 in feed costs to put a pound on, okay? So after 12 weeks, that's going to that's gonna increase. So now it might cost you 6 or $7 to put on that same pound of weight because they just aren't gonna grow at the same rate. But you can't feed them less, you have to feed them as much or more because now you're feeding a bigger rabbit. So at around that 12 week 
age is when those costs start to go up and per pound that rabbit is costing you more. So you certainly can get them to dress out at five pounds. Um, it's just gonna take you a lot longer because they aren't growing as fast. And um, you definitely, um, it, it's gonna cost you more. So if you're doing it for customers, keep that in mind that you really, um, you know, might have to charge more per pound the higher weight you you aim for. So um, we matures ourselves. Um, we I and I've mentioned this before. We were going to do it ourselves when we first started, and then we found out that um, there's a meat market about a half hour from our house. They did it, and it's really, it's only like, I think $3.25 a piece. It might be more now, um, but at the time, that was fine. Now, that was not with any of the extras, like having it vacuum sealed or anything, and she does it on her poultry day, so like the inspectors there, um, uh, Wisconsin law, you don't actually have to have your rabbits USDA inspected to sell to other people. So that's um, actually not an issue. Um, we just, um, over time, it was kind of like, uh, I guess I might as well, I should really try and do this. And actually what happened is we had one of our does, she was getting old, and one day I came out and she did not look good, and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm not, I'm not gonna try and save her. She's old. I was actually going to send her with that previous batch of rabbits to get butchered, and then last, because she had only been having like three kits every time, and the last minute that morning, I thought, no. Oh, I'm gonna, I'll just breed her one more time. I wanna, I wanna keep one back from her. And uh, so I kept her, I bred her, and then she was like three weeks in and I came out one morning. It was clear she was just not gonna make it. So I said to my son, I'm like, uh, why don't you, could you shoot her for me and I'll butcher her. And I have no problem once they're dead, like doing the butchering. I have a hard time killing them, and I don't know why. I, mm, I don't know why. Um, but my son uh, is the opposite. He doesn't mind. Um, he doesn't mind killing them for me, and he would rather not butcher them. So um, we work together. He so he he shoots them for me now, and then I butcher them. Um, and actually, like for Christmas this year, he made me uh, this really nice rack. It's like a piece of angle iron that uh, we can suspend from our garage ceiling, like from some hooks on some chain. And then it's got like 20 holes drilled through it. And then we just use S hooks. And then um, you hang the rabbit like in it, once it's dead, like in its back, hack there um there's that tendon it would be like kind of equivalent to like your achilles tendon so you just make a little slit with a knife between the tendon and the bone without cutting the tendon and you can just hang it on those s hooks um and that works really well um and then i i can hang it at whatever height i want so i usually start with like their feet kind of right at my eye level um 
and hang them all upside down and um, I can butcher them. So we typically use like a 22 pistol um, to kill ours, but a lot of people use like uh, what's called a kill board. So it's a board maybe uh, like 18 inches long and it kind of has a V cut into it. And then you, you just take that rabbit and you put it's not uh, like you would mount this somewhere um, and then you, you, you would like slide the rabbit with its head above the board and its neck kind of in that V-shaped groove and you just slide them in until they're snug and then you give them a good like yank on their back feet, um, and it breaks their necks. Rabbits have really, really sensitive necks. I think I mentioned in another episode, like they're they're so sensitive that if if they like smack up the side of their cage, um, like they can break their neck and die. So um, that's actually a super humane way to kill them. Um, it it's instant. It breaks their neck. They they're dead right away, um, and it's it's over with. So um, at the meat market, um, I'm pretty sure, I watched her one time and I can't remember, I'm pretty sure she stuns them with like an electric probe, um, and it kind of renders them unconscious, and then they just cut their throats and, and bleed them out, which is how most, like, large animals are killed. They use, like, a captive bolt, which renders them unconscious, and then they really die from bleeding out. Now, eventually, they would, I think, you know, die from the captive bolt too, because that, it leaves them brain dead. Um, but that, I mean, that's for the most part how it works. Um, so it's very, very, <coughs> it's very quick. It's very painless. We don't have problems with them, like not dying. You just have to know if you're getting them in the right spot and what angle you should do it at. Um, so if you're not sure, like look that up online, you should be able, you know, just right in the middle of the forehead. You don't want to go straight down. You want to angle in a little bit. So if you go straight down, actually that'll just kind of go right. Uh, if you're not like back far enough, it can go like down and just kind of through their mouth and not, uh, into their brain. So you just want to make sure that you know what you're doing before you do it so that you can do it as humanely and as quick as possible. So, um, I would say, like, not including my time it takes me to, like, set up and clean up, once we start, I can probably, once I've got them hung, I can probably butcher about five, five an hour. I definitely think I could, um, increase that, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not too worried about it. I put on a podcast. I, I'm not, I'm not getting paid by the hour. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not in a super fast hurry to get it done either. So I could probably get six done an hour if I was working as quick as I could. So, um, I, if we have an old rabbit, like an old doe or a buck or something, uh, we actually don't eat those. I usually grind those up for the dogs to eat, but all of the, all of the juniors are the ones that we would eat anything, um, you know, because bucks are going to, it's kind of, you know, they're going to get stinky and the meat's not going to taste as good. And 
So we just eat the young ones. The dogs get the old ones if we have any. Um, and then I have been now vacuum sealing it. When we got it done at the meat market, um, she always just put them like in a thicker plastic bag and um, just had like a clip on the end. Um, and now I've been vacuum sealing them and that actually um, really, really prolongs the life of that, in, uh, what it can last in the freezer. So I've been really happy with vacuum sealing too. So um, let's talk a little bit about cooking our, your rabbit. Um, so rabbit meat, you want to go low and slow. It's very lean. It's not like chicken has um, like the skin and a fat layer on it. So you can cook chicken fairly high, but rabbit doesn't have a skin on it. So you can't put that in a high oven. So typically what I do is I brine it. If You can salt it too if you... Um, are short on time because you only need like 20 minutes to lightly salt it and then you can cook it. Um, you can do it in a crock pot or I like to braise it. Um, oh, sorry, I'll give you my brine recipe. Um, it's typically just a quarter cup of salt. I usually use canning salt. Um, the measurement would be different if you're using kosher salt. You would like double that because the um, volume measurement isn't the same. Um, and that might vary a little depending on brand. But you should be able, it should say on the side of the box, like, um, you know, like, one teaspoon of kosher salt is equal to a half a teaspoon of ta table salt or something like that. So they'll give you that conversion on there. Um, but so yeah, quarter quarter cup of salt to a half gallon of water. And then I, you can let that soak up up to 12 hours if you want. A lot of times I'll do it overnight or just throw it in in the morning and by the time I want to cook it in the afternoon, um, it's ready to go. If you only have an hour or two, that's fine too. You just brine it for a little bit. I like that it adds that salt, like a little bit of that salty flavor and the salt kind of works on breaking down that meat. So as it cooks, it's a little more tender. So then you can either cook it whole or you can break it down. So the loin doesn't need nearly as much time, hardly any time to cook. Um, the legs and shoulders need a lot more. So if you break it down, take the legs off and the shoulders off, like the front legs at the shoulder, um, you can cook those first and then put the loin in just at the very end or like the rest of the carcass, like at the very end. Um, or I typically do mine like in a Dutch oven and I, um, I kind of spread the back legs apart and pull them kind of out to the side and do the same thing with the shoulders and have it so the loin is facing up. And you can put a couple strips of like bacon or something over the top of it to keep that cooler and keep it from cooking um, as quick it, it, because you really, once that loin gets like above 145 degrees, it starts to get dried out. So you don't want it to cook as fast as the rest of it. So putting like a little bacon over that will prevent it. Um, so typically like it would be, um, like 165 you want like the legs to be at in the center and then like 145 for the loin. So use a meat thermometer. Really, if you want to do any good cooking with meat, you want a thermometer just because you don't know what you don't know what it's at and if it's done. So 
Um, the other thing we I really like to do is you can smoke it with indirect heat, like on the grill or if you have a smoker. Um, you get like one side of your grill hot with the coals and we actually will use like um, a chunk of cherry wood or you can get the chips or pellets or whatever kind you want and then you put that on top of the hot coals and you just um, keep that at a very low heat and then um, I don't know maybe it took takes an hour like once you've got everything going good and you put the rabbit on and you want to so you want to flip it so that when you when you turn it over, um, you aren't turning it. You want to face the loin away from the heated side. So when you turn it, you want to flip it like front to back instead of like side to side. That way the loin doesn't get overcooked because you don't want that facing like the hot side of the grill. And that is very good smoked rabbit. Ooh, that is delish. Um, that's probably our favorite. Again, if you're going to do that on the grill, you could also, um, put a little bacon on it. Um, there's a lady I know who said her mother always made rabbit when they were little and now they were wild rabbit, so they weren't as tasty as domestic rabbit. Um, but she said her mom always, always wrapped their rabbit in bacon and she loved it. Um, then... You don't want to waste what's left of your carcass. Um, rab rabbit makes a really, really delicious stock. So when we're done eating it, um, and we can usually get two meals easily out of a three and a half pound rabbit, you know, three and a half pounds on the bone. Um, we easily get two meals out of it. I usually, for the first meal, we eat just rabbit. And then for the second meal, I'll make like a soup out of it or um, just pick it off cold and make like a like a cold salad, you know, like um, for sandwiches with, you know, like little mayonnaise, onions, celery, a little bit of mustard, salt and pepper, um, some turmeric usually. Um, and that's really good on a sandwich cold too. Um, so to make the stock, you just put, you can, you can do it in a pressure cooker if that's how you do it. Um, I, I do, it goes so quick. I mean, you only need like, I don't know, half hour maybe in a pressure cooker to make good stock. Um, otherwise I just put it like in my seven quart Dutch oven and I just fill it with water, like as high as it can go without boiling over, put the lid on. And I bring it like up to a simmer, um, kind of a fast simmer. And then I turn it down to a really low simmer. And um, I let that go for like 24 hours on the stove. Or you can do it in the crock pot or however you like to make your stock. Um, but it is really, really flavorful stock. And it's by far our favorite, like far and above chicken stock um it is so much better so um we really love the stock and then i and then i can that now you have to pressure can meat stocks you cannot hot water bath it or you'll kill your family um so you know for each rabbit i make i can easily get at least five quarts out i can fit seven quarts in my canner so um you know, I can that up and we've got enough to make soup for the next couple days and it's super delicious. So um, I hope 
you want to raise rabbits for meat and that you learn to love rabbit meat as much as we do. Um, a lot of people are really surprised when they try it how good it is. I mean, I don't tell people ever. Like, I just let them think it's chicken soup and then they say, oh, this is the best chicken soup we've ever had. Well, okay. You know, sometimes I tell them later that it's rabbit, but <laughs> we've had friends try it and say like, wow, you're right. If I didn't know this was rabbit, I really would think it was chicken, only better. So, I mean, we we really enjoy it, um, and we really hope that it becomes um, a meat you can enjoy too. And it's something so easy to do. You know, rabbits are quiet. You can keep them in your garage, even if you live in town, and this is the only thing you can do to get started, you know. Nobody has restrictions on having rabbits, whereas like a lot of places you can't have chickens. Um, and this is a really great way to raise meat for your family. It doesn't cost you a ton of money to get into. Um, it's something your kids can easily help with. Um, they're, they're really easy to raise and they're just a great, great animal um, to fall in love with. So I really really encourage you to try it out. Um, if you have any questions, send me an email. Um, or you can, like I said, if you're using that Anchor app, you can leave me a message. You have up to one minute to record a message. So you can leave me a message asking me any questions. Um, we've barely scratched the surface. This is just very basic information. There's so much more to know about rabbits. Um, but if you've got questions, if I've missed something, if you have something specific that you want me to go into more detail about, shoot me an email or a message. I'm on Facebook also. Um, so the email is thefarmerpodcast at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook as The Farmer Podcast. So you should easily be able to find us and just let me know what, you, what your questions are. I think next time we're going to talk um, a little bit about starting your own seedlings, um, what soil to use, grow lights, um, heat mats, that kind of thing, um, what are easy seedlings to start with. Um, so until then, have a great week.